Welcome to the Let's Bond podcast, helping your First Nation reach new levels of success. Now here's your host, FNFA's Director of Business Development, Jody Anderson. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the First Nations Finance Authority podcast, Let's Bond. Today we have a very special guest, Chief Derek Epp from Cheactin First Nation, who's going to talk to us about housing and some of the innovative solutions that they have used in their community. You can listen on your favorite podcast app or listen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome, Chief Derek Epp. Thank you, Jody. Looking forward to it. So before we get into some of the story, let's just introduce and maybe take a few minutes and you can tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and where is Chiactin? Yeah, thank you, Jody. So, Eswail, Wililik Talsqui, Talitsaqua, Chiactal. Good morning, afternoon, whenever you're tuning in. Uh, my traditional name is Wililik. My given name is Derek Epp. I'm the chief of Chiactin First Nation, also known as Chiactal First Nation, uh, which is part of the Chilquaic tribe and the greater Stalo Nation. Uh, we're located here in Chilliwack, uh, British Columbia, uh, about an hour and a half east of the of Vancouver. And I've been chief now, I can't believe it, going into my seventh year. Uh, time flies. My background is social work. Uh, I was a child protection social worker before I was elected into this position. And since then, I've gone and uh, done various certificate programs with the intention of building my skill set more in the business side of business side of the, the this this job this role the eventual goal of uh, achieving my MBA and so I feel like having that business and social balance has been really beneficial to this specific role and and really meeting the membership's needs and my passion is developing programming uh, filling gaps and services listening and learning from our membership to understand the needs of the community in order to effectively meet those needs of our of our membership and our, and our larger community as we continue to grow you know the more I talk to you the more I learn about Chiactin and some of the things that you and your leadership and the community are doing differently. And you mentioned, you know, really listening to what your members are saying in terms of the needs. And today we're here to talk about housing. So let's start out by talking about what is the housing situation or what was the situation in Chiactin that really brought this type of project forward? Yeah, thank you. Good question. I mean, housing is a crisis, I think, across BC, Canada, and quite frankly, probably globally, housing is an issue. We have seen, you know, the housing prices uh, rise, especially here in BC in the lower mainland and Chilliwack. Uh, so affordability is definitely a barrier to a lot of our, our members and and also overcrowding. We've seen the historical impacts of, you know, the uh, assimilation process and also the um, inability for uh, government to allow the autonomy for First Nations to take on housing over the you know several last decades. And what we were left with was a CMHC housing program that was enacted you know 30, 40 years ago. And it left us with a substantial debt, but it also left us with housing that didn't meet the standards of today. A lot of mold, a lot of issues that we've had to go back and remedy and, and, and fix along the way. And it also left us with, you know, like I said, a substandard uh, level of housing that unfortunately hasn't met our membership's needs over the last several decades. And the reality of um, this housing crisis is uh, we needed 
needed to provide a bit of a different approach to housing on reserve in order to reduce the overcrowding, provide a quality housing that allows our members to not only live in a much more comfortable situation, but thrive, be proud of where they live and have that sense of community. And we really wanted to address these housing needs and the demographics of what we found in our housing uh, needs in a very different way. And we approached this project rather than trying to uh, put as many units on one site as, site as possible. We wanted to ensure that these units were outfitted for the right size, uh, for our elders, for wheelchair accessibility for certain units, and, and kind of allowing these large family units, because that's who we are as First Nations people, is we, we love to be with our family. So we purposely built these units to allow for those family units to move from an overcrowded living situation to being able to live still side by side, but have their autonomy to be able to um, live in their own space and thrive in their own space. Yeah, and, and the reality of the housing situation here in Chilliwack as well is um, a lot of our members who own land on reserve capitalized on the housing market and the and, and the price that they can get for, for leasing out some of their land, and so should they. I think that's the right of, of any landowner that's not only on reserve, but off reserve. You know, people have the ability to do that. But what's brought with that is a lot of uh, non-members living on, on Chiacton First Nation, which is good for our tax base, good for revenues, good for our ability to meet the membership's needs. But it also pro- uh, has driven the price of housing on reserve up and actually gone so far that the developments on leasehold lands on Chiacton are actually on par uh, for the, the sale prices than off reserve. So the stigma has been wiped away for living on reserve. But again, that's left us with how do we meet our members' housing needs as we continue to grow and evolve? Wow, that's, um, you know, you touched on a lot of key and important messages there. And one, I want to go back, you've mentioned it a couple times, autonomy. And I think that a lot of the communities right across Canada are in a similar situation where they're working in a prescribed manner and kind of taking what has been given to them. And you guys have actually moved outside of that box to ensure that the um, you're taking your power back and asserting your own you know, cultural autonomy, your own financial autonomy to reflect the needs, the culture and the reality of what Chiacton really needs. And in doing that, it sounds like you've created a whole housing market that maybe didn't currently exist. Do you think that's accurate? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. And I think even through this process, so we partnered with BC Housing and in Indigenous Services Canada on this project. ISC was, um, we partnered with them to bring in the infrastructure because this housing project we built was 23 units of mixed row home style housing. I mean, it was about a, a little less than a kilometer roadway in, which is expensive to bring that roadway to the housing with infrastructure and services. So we worked with ISC as a partner to bring in the services and we purchased this land off of one of our members with the full intent to build housing for our, for our our community and in doing so we I, I was been called a badger over the years in what I um uh, I, I like to push boundaries of jurisdictions and push boundaries of uh and hold the government to account and one of the areas that we did that in working with BC housing was typically BC housing requires you to set up an external society outside of the organization because again it goes back to this almost that parentified approach that the government takes to working with First Nations communities and we push back 
And we said, nope, we have the track record to manage uh, not only housing, operations, large-scale budgets, projects, whatever it might be on reserve and off reserve for that matter as well. Then we pushed back saying, nope, we can do this in-house. We created actually a funny acronym called our THC, our Chiacton Housing Committee. And uh, that's our that's who governs this housing project. And it's a, it's a committee made up of membership that actually... Uh, is arm's length to council, and they provide uh, recommendations to council for who uh, was going to reside in these in these units. And and to be honest, the intention is that this committee does all the work, and council is simply a, an approval body. We don't question the recommendations from the housing committee. They have the autonomy to develop and, and implement those recommendations. And then we went so far in, in working with BC Housing on this project that if, you, if you've had experience in working with BC Housing, you've realized that uh, some of their unit sizes are, quite frankly, not livable. They're not uh, suitable for many of our families and suitable for a really con- a really healthy, conducive lifestyle. Uh, so we uh, challenged to BC Housing on that as well. And we actually decided to not only um, use this land that we bought as a leverage point, uh, but we also decided to invest a significant amount of capital into this project as well. And we actually went above and beyond the unit sizes that BC Housing typically would dictate to First Nations communities. So we just thought different. We thought outside of the box. We, I am a big believer and you have to know the rules to break them. And we looked at the rules that BC Housing was trying to administer on us as a community. And we, we thought creatively and we thought outside of the box. And so we've challenged both the big Big, big items that we had on the plate, whereas we don't agree with having an external society, we can manage this on our own. And we actually didn't agree with the unit sizes that they were dictating to us in this process. And we said, if if you don't agree, we'll do it on our own. And we, we uh, managed to meet both of those hurdles. And uh, looking at it now, I think that was probably one of the best decisions we made. And, and being able to see the success of the project now to date has been really empowering. And these are the, these are the projects and the, the, the situations that really keep me going in this job. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you're pushing boundaries. So, so far we have you as a badger and a rule breaker. So let's keep going and see what else we can <laughs> pull from this incredible story. Uh, one of the conversations that we had earlier was really around the financing and how you guys had a choice in how this was going to be financed. And I'm um, I'm hoping that you can you can tell us and share with the listeners how that evolved and how that happened. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. I think that's such an important piece to this project. Full transparency, I'm a board member of the First Nations Finance Authority as well. And uh, I saw this as a gap in being on the board. And, you know, why haven't we been investing in housing on reserve or supporting First Nations communities to do so? So when we, we thought outside of the box on that process, as well and we approached FNFA on this project and right away of course like Ernie and the team were right behind us on this project and the reason there's multiple reasons why we decided to go with the First Nations Finance Authority one of the real important ones that we felt was um, is that trust is that relationship we have with the First Nations organization but also the competitive financing you know being able to access competitive financing through the First Nations Finance Authority has been a huge stepping stone for not only us but I think for so many communities across this country and even being able to leverage uh, revenue streams that gen- banks and credit unions wouldn't even look at. And in, in saying that, it was the, what we've leveraged for this project was our gaming revenue. The BC gaming revenue is something that most banks and credit unions would have a lot of issues in using as a sustainable revenue source to support projects like this. 
But the with the FNFA, we had absolutely no issues in looking at these revenue streams that are different. They're new. They can fluctuate. Of course, the BC gaming revenue we saw over the last couple of years with COVID as well, it fluctuated, obviously not for the better. But we were still able to leverage that revenue source and revenue stream as, a, as an avenue to support the funding model for this housing project. And then even the ability for the First Nations Finance Authority to react and be flexible in issuing uh, debentures and funding for the timeline of the construction. Our director of finance was absolutely thrilled with the ability that the First Nations Finance Authority had to issue payments in a timely manner. And we've dealt with banks for for years. We've dealt with credit unions, um, investment processes. And to be honest, the ability for the First Nations Finance Authority to meet the time frame of a project and not put any hurdles in the way with regards to financing made this project so much easier to administer and complete. We built this smack dab in the middle of COVID. So we anticipated not only the budget to be potentially a bit higher, but also we anticipated for the timelines to be a bit longer. When in reality, actually, we not only met the timelines, we met the budget as well. And we were able to actually bulk purchase all of the um, construction items or construction products that we needed. And we created a bit of a storage yard out of one of our areas as well. And we did that because we had flexible financing as well. So we were able to, again, through working with um, the First Nations Finance Authority, the flexibility, the efficiencies, the competitive financing rates, being able to adapt to the project's timelines and a really easy process in accessing funds for the project's success. Again, we met the budget. We met the budget and the timelines of the project, which ensured that we were able to move our members into these homes in a timely fashion and really meet their needs um, in a way that we've never seen before. That's fantastic. And, you know, from a project management standpoint, it's absolutely outstanding. And I'm so happy that we could be a part of this journey. And outside of the project, when we talk about the human um, impact here, uh, I had the privilege of speaking with one of your tenants early on. And I just want to, you know, hear from you. What is that? What What's the impact now? We're almost a year uh, when keys were turned over into these units. But what does that mean? Oh, it's been uh, amazing. So we recently did a video uh, with the First Nations Finance Authority as well and got a chance to actually sit down with uh, some elders, some young families living in these these units and got to actually hear firsthand after, you know, about a year of our members living in these homes after, you know, that initial buzz has worn off the excitement. But I realized that that excitement and that buzz is still there. It was really amazing to hear um, an elder, uh, one of her elders, she was able to share with me that she feels so comfy and cozy and she feels like she's home and she hasn't been able to be home for most of her life. She's lived about uh, an hour outside of our, uh, from our reserve and she's cultural. She's very close with her family. Our longhouse is literally about a kilometer away from the housing. Her family's very close. Uh, so when she's not feeling well, what she said to me is that now they can bring her soup. They can bring her food. She feels like she's comfortable. She has her family living next door and they can come take care of her if she needs it. She's And she just feels that sense of community. 
and that sense of belonging. And I think it's so important to Indigenous people across, well, not not just here, but across this world. The impacts of colonization is that sense of identity and being able to come home and wake up every day knowing your home. I think that's such a something that I've heard from so many of our members. And then you look at, you know, all through the, the age demographics from our elders down to young families. And one of the experiences I heard from one of our young families is they came from a home that had anywhere from 18 to 20 people living in the home in any given, any given day. And the home was, you know, four bedrooms, two bathrooms, you know, and it's really, I'm sure this story is similar to a lot of First Nations communities across the country, but we were able to literally shift the dynamics of that home. And now we have a young mom with uh, and her partner who have four kids living in that home now that before was far too overcrowded. And we were able to move out two family units out of that home into our new uh, member housing development. And it's the first time in many of these kids' lives and parents' lives for that matter, that they've had their own bedroom. And for me, that's something that um, really still hits home to me. I've, you know, I'm really fortunate with, you know, what my parents were able to instill in me from a young, and I grew up on reserve and I was still very fortunate. I shared a bedroom with one of my brothers, but it wasn't like it was, I had, you know, a family living in a room and actually it was my identical twin. So I wanted to be in in the same room with him. That was by choice. But these families now have the choice to stay in their own room. I mean, we actually went so far when this project was kicking off, we thought, you know what, Let, let's get new beds for all of these, these kids and these parents. So we decided to buy new beds for all of these kids and parents and families and elders who were moving into these homes. So they had a fresh start. We had one young teenager um, didn't leave his room for like two days because <laughs> he's never had his own room. Uh, so it was... Hey, look, my teenager doesn't leave his room either, so... <laughs> <laughs> and it was just so empowering to hear these stories and to hear firsthand from <clears throat> our community members the impacts that this have, this has had and we strategically placed these house this housing right beside our sports field a social and uh, <clears throat> social and wellness building community garden playgrounds greenhouse and an area that is really conducive to who we are as First Nations people. And I think it's it's really shown that this thought that went into this project and the intention behind so many de- decisions that we made, um, it's paid off. And uh, and it really just has given, I think, a lot of our, our council, our membership, and just in general, our organization, this perspective as to empowering us to continue to do good work. And uh, we're looking forward to doing another project, actually. That's incredible. And there's, you know, everything that I've heard and that I've learned about this project and about your community. I just cannot get over the success and, you know, moving in the right direction and, and what you and your community are building together. And really, from the bottom of my heart, I, I really want to say Miigwech, thank you for sharing this story. We say every loan has a story. And while there's the whole project management and the and the financial side of things, the why and the reason we're doing this is to hear the impact and that we're touching and making a positive contribution in our members' lives and building healthy, safer communities. So congratulations, Chief App, on this incredible project uh, to everybody. Congratulations to 
all the tenants who are in your new units and enjoying the space and those nice comfy new beds. That's incredible and just so generous. So thank you again for sharing your story with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And like I said, every time I talk to you, I feel that I'm learning more and more about Chiacton and about your community. And I hope that our listeners will take the opportunity and reach out to learn more about how this project came to be, um, learn about some of the challenges that are encountered because, you know, with every project, there's still challenges, but um, yep. having having the the confidence to have that autonomy and being able to think outside of the box and pushing boundaries so that we can reflect, you know, the, the realities of our own nations and, and what our people want. So miigwech once again, and um, thanks for joining in and listening. Any closing thoughts? No, I really appreciate it. I think you, you nailed it. Is I think a lot of the things we do is the how and the what, but we always forget about the why. And I think that's a really important thing that's that just grounds us in the work we do. And uh, I really want to, you know, my hands go up to the FNFA uh, for being so bold and willing to think differently. And it's, you know, this wasn't a huge loan in, rel- in, in relative to what is being, uh, what the FNFA issues in, in loans annually. It wasn't huge, but it was extremely impactful and I think that's the the important thing about this and I'm happy to share any of this process Uh, I believe in we all are better if we can share what we've done well what we've learned and honestly what we've done wrong with each other so um, if anybody does want to reach out happy happy to happy to have a discussion about how we got where we are and and some of the challenges along the way. Wonderful. Well, in the notes to the podcast, perhaps we'll add a link to the story of Chiacton Housing and um, the website to the community because there's a number of other fantastic projects that you guys have really um, nailed, really. And so congratulations once again. Thanks for joining us again, Chief App, and uh, we'll see you when we see you. Thanks, Jody. I appreciate it. And we'll chat soon, I'm sure. 